welcome everyone to Understanding the I Am That Is You podcast. Hey everybody, it's your girl Wynn Ruffin, and I pray all is well with everyone, and your hearts and minds are full of love, joy, and compassion for all God's children and all God's creation. But for those of us who may struggle with that, know that we are not without the capacity to love when we choose to be loved, for the spirit of love dwells within all of us, and that love activates naturally when we learn to rise above our negative human conditionings and thoughts and the darkness of the outer world appearances and begin to focus on the true spiritual love residing within us of our mighty I Am Presence. Amen. Give thanks and praises for love and light. And y'all be The Holy Spirit is the only authorized interpreter of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and no man can know what his doctrine is, unless he gets it direct from this one and only custodian. It is not to come secondhand, but each for himself must receive it from the Holy Spirit, who is sent by the Father in the name of the Son. The question is frequently asked, who is the Holy Spirit, and what relation does he bear to God and to Christ? The early disciples knew the Holy Spirit as the third person of the Trinity. The Father is always first, the Son second, and the Spirit, third. The terms Father and Son express an eternal, reciprocal relation. The Spirit is the infinite breath of God, as the Son is His infinite Word. We may understand the relation and office of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, by analyzing our own mind and its apparent subdivisions during thought action, because each one of us is a perfect copy in miniature, an image and likeness, of the great universal first cause, being. The source of all my manifestations is my mind. This source is exactly like the Father, is the Father in degree. An idea arises in my mind of something that I want to do, this idea is the Son. I express that idea in definite thought, that is Spirit going forth to accomplish that whereto I have sent it. The Father is principle. The Son is principle revealed in a creative plan. The Holy Spirit is the executive power of both Father and Son, carrying out the creative plan. Thus, we might also say that Father is being, and the Absolute, the Unlimited, the Unrelated. Son is the I Am, identity of being. Holy Spirit is the personality of being. In its last analysis, Holy Spirit is the personality of God. The Holy Spirit is neither the all of being nor the fullness of Christ, but is an emanation or breath, sent forth to do a definite work. Thus circumscribed, he may be said to take on, in a sense, the characteristics of personality, a personality transcending in its capacity, the concept of the intellectual man. The Holy Spirit is designated in scripture as personality, and is not always existing for the consciousness of humanity in uniform degree. The mission of Jesus was to open the way for the Holy Spirit to enter into the minds of men. But when the Comforter is come, 
whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceedeth from the Father, he shall bear witness of me. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I go, I will send him unto you. And he, when he is come, will convict the world in respect of sin, and of righteousness, and of judgment. The function of the Holy Ghost, or Spirit of Truth, implies distinct personal subsistence, he speaks, searches, selects, reveals, reproves, testifies, leads, comforts, distributes to every man, searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. What writers of the Old Testament ascribe to Jehovah, the writers of the New Testament ascribe to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the law of God in action, in that action he appears as having individuality. From this fact the Hebrews got their concept of the personal, tribal God, Jehovah. Their prophets and mystics came into conscious mental touch with this executive lawgiver of God, and he used them as the mouthpieces through which he guided and directed his people. Adam talked to him as Jehovah God. In this we understand that by means of the harmony and perfectness of the sinless man's mind, he was always conscious of the omnipresent Holy Spirit. Discord had not entered his innocent world, he was in the Eden of infancy. The desire for independent experience entered his mind, he began to get knowledge from experimenting blindly with the powers of being and in so doing, severed the connection between his mind, and the mind of the Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit found other means of communicating with men, the most common being the visions of the night, or dreams. And he said, Hear now my words, if there be a prophet among you, I Jehovah will make myself known unto him in a vision, I will speak with him in a dream. The Bible records a long line of prophets, mystics and dreamers, who for thousands of years communicated the word of the Holy Spirit to the people. Jacob dreamed, and behold, a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, Jehovah stood above it and said, I am Jehovah, the God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee whithersoever thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land. Joseph dreamed, and he interpreted the dreams of others. Solomon was instructed by the Lord in dreams. Daniel prophesied through instruction received from the Lord in dreams. Joseph the husband of Mary, was instructed in dreams, and he saved the life of the young child Jesus by following the warnings given him in this way. Peter had visions of the night. And the Lord said unto Paul in the night by a vision, Be not afraid, but speak and hold not thy peace. And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, Be of good cheer, for as thou hast testified concerning me at Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. The children of Israel depended upon the Holy Spirit to guide and direct them, and from Genesis to Revelation, the Bible is filled with incidents bearing testimony to the direct and personal interest of the Holy Spirit in the affairs of men. Jesus Christ, the resurrected Adam, reconnected man with the Lord, opening the way by which man might at any time enjoy that communion with his Creator which he had had in the Edenic state, before his season of experimenting had begun. Jesus prayed much by himself and spent long hours in silent communion with God. Those who have even in a slight degree opened the Christ consciousness in themselves, so that it flows forth and recognizes the universal mind, can readily understand that Jesus was in the silence with God, getting the power and wisdom necessary to do his work. The normal condition of man is one of opened inner communion, such as was enjoyed by Jesus, a condition in which he can say of every thought and word, the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's, who sent me. It is the mission of the Holy Spirit to bring all men and all women into this open communion, 
but it is a difficult attainment. And the light shineth in the darkness, and the darkness apprehended it not. He who is buried in sense limitations must find the way out of them into the place where the light shines in the light, and man perceives it clearly. It is the mission of the Holy Spirit so to guide man in order that man will not mistake the way into that light or wander off into the darkness of the many delusive bypaths of mortal sense. The Holy Spirit comes to men in this day, as in the past, and reveals to them in various ways how to overcome the erroneous states of consciousness that they have evolved, or in which they are cast through association. A higher and more far-seeing guide than mere intellect is necessary, and that guide has been provided in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one factor that his disciples and immediate followers counted absolutely necessary to their success in preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. They looked to him for power and guidance in all their work. They announced him as the special gift promised by Jesus Christ, an endowment that could be given by them to those who believed on his name. By the laying on of hands they transferred Holy Spirit power to others, who upon receiving it went about preaching, teaching, prophesying, and healing. Even to this day many in the Orthodox Christian Church believe that only those are fitted to preach who are inspired of the Holy Spirit. But in some cases, the inspirations of spirit are so turned away by minds filled with scholastic dogma and creed learned in ecclesiastical colleges, that when given forth it is not recognized by the soul seeking the pure bread of life. But the Holy Spirit is in the world today with great power and wisdom, ready to be poured out upon all those who look to him for guidance. The Holy Spirit is authority on the gospel of Jesus Christ. He is the only authority ever recognized by Jesus Christ, and whoever attempts to set forth the Christ gospel from any other standpoint is in the letter, and not in the spirit. Jesus gave his words into the keeping of this universal receptive agency, the spirit of truth, whose mission it is to carry those words directly into the understanding of everyone who accepts the Christ way into the kingdom of heaven. The Holy Spirit gave his words to the writers of the New Testament, and they wrote them out for the comprehension of the intellectual man. But this does not signify that the mission of the Holy Spirit ended there, that after giving this message he then withdrew from the world. On the contrary, it was just the beginning, the primary step of that larger, more comprehensive teaching that Spirit is ever ready to impart to every soul. The soul needs instruction, and the Father has provided a perfect way for us to get it. That way is the Jesus Christ way, Whoever follows the steps outlined in Christ's gospel, now brought to each of us by the Holy Spirit, will finally reach the same place that Jesus reached. The fact is that everybody has a soul to save, not from the hypothetical hell after death, but from the sins and the delusions of the sense consciousness that make hell here and now. There is a way to bring that salvation about, and it is the mission of the Holy Spirit to reveal that way to every one of us. The revelation begins the moment we turn from the letter of the gospel and seek for its spirit. To know that every word and sentence of scripture veils a spiritual truth is the first step in unraveling the gospel. Spiritual truths cannot be expressed in language that will carry correct concepts to the mind. No attempt to describe the Holy Spirit is made in scripture, because language might be expanded indefinitely, description and illustration fill volumes, yet the Holy Spirit would not be compassed or apprehended on the intellectual plane where human language passes current. The Holy Spirit is the whole Spirit of God, He can be known by man only through His spiritual nature. When He tries to bring Spirit down to the plane of things, He always falls short. So those who attempt to learn of the Holy Spirit by reading about Him, or from the teachings of others, will fail. The Holy Spirit comes only to those who earnestly seek Him. If you are depending for spiritual enlightenment on some book or on church ritual and doctrine, 
or on some teacher or leader, you need not expect to have the Holy Spirit fall upon you. It is the prayer and supplication of the soul alone in its upper room, state of high spiritual aspiration, that brings the Holy Ghost. Talks on Truth by Charles Fillmore, 1912 Isis Unveiled, Volume 2, Chapter 2 The doctrine of the moksha and the nirvana, as understood by the school of Max Muller, can never bear confronting with numerous texts that can be found, if required, as a final refutation. There are sculptures and many pagodas which contradict, point-blank, the imputation. Ask Abraham to explain moksha, address yourself to an educated Buddhist and pray him to define for you the meaning of nirvana. Both will answer you that in every one of these religions, nirvana represents the dogma of the spirit's immortality. That to reach the nirvana means absorption into the great universal soul, the latter representing a state, not an individual being or an anthropomorphic god, as some understand the great existence. That a spirit reaching such a state becomes a part of the integral whole, but never loses its individuality for all that. Henceforth, the spirit lives spiritually, without any fear of further modifications of form, for form pertains to matter, and the state of nirvana implies a complete purification or a final riddance from even the most sublimated particle of matter. This word, absorbed, when it is proved that the Hindus and Buddhists believe in the immortality of the spirit, must necessarily mean intimate union, not annihilation. Let Christians call them idolaters, if they still dare to do so, in the face of science and the latest translations of the sacred Sanskrit books, they have no right to present the speculative philosophy of ancient sages as an inconsistency, and the philosophers themselves as illogical fools. With far better reason we can accuse the ancient Jews of utter nihilism. There is not a word contained in the books of Moses, or the prophets either, which, taken literally, implies the spirit's immortality. Yet every devout Jew hopes as well to be gathered into the bosom of Abraham. H. P. Blavatsky The Hierophants and some Brahmins are accused of having administered to their apopti, strong drinks or anesthetics to produce visions which shall be taken by the latter as realities. They did and do use sacred beverages which, like the Soma drink, possess the faculty of freeing the astral form from the bonds of matter, but in those visions there is as little to be attributed to hallucinations as in the glimpses which the scientist, by the help of his optical instrument, gets into the microscopic world. A man cannot perceive, touch, and converse with pure spirit through any of his bodily senses. Only spirit alone can talk to and see spirit, and even our astral soul, the doppelganger, is too gross, too much tainted yet with earthly matter to trust entirely to its perceptions and insinuations. How dangerous may often become untrained mediumship, and how thoroughly it was understood and provided against by the ancient sages, is perfectly exemplified in the case of Socrates. The old Grecian philosopher was a medium, hence, he had never been initiated into the mysteries, for such was the rigorous law. But he had his familiar spirit, as they call it, his daimonium, and this invisible counselor became the cause of his death. It is generally believed that if he was not initiated into the mysteries, it was because he himself neglected to become so. But the secret records teach us that it was because he could not be admitted to participate in the sacred rites and precisely, as we state, on account of his mediumship. 
There was a law against the admission not only of such as were convicted of deliberate witchcraft, but even of those who were known to have a familiar spirit. The law was just and logical, because a genuine medium is more or less irresponsible, and the eccentricities of Socrates are thus accounted for in some degree. A medium must be passive, and if a firm believer in his spirit guide, he will allow himself to be ruled by the latter, not by the rules of the sanctuary. H.P. Blavatsky The I Am Discourses, Volume 16 Whenever you are using the violet consuming flame in and around yourselves, the angels of the violet flame are in attendance around you, until the work for which you call is complete. They come at the call of your own higher mental body whenever you move into action through your decrees and ask for the release of these greater powers to help life. If you are calling for supply, as you hold the picture of the fulfillment of your call, one or more of the angelic host would stand enfolding you in the wings of golden flame and the green flame and outside of that the blue flame for protection. So, if you will understand the interaction of these magnificent powers of life and the reality of these magnificent beings, you will make much more rapid progress, and your decrees will bring you their blessings much more quickly. Whenever the healing rays are called forth or you ask for the healing flame to enfold an individual, one of the healing angels always abides in and around the one who is to be healed. If you could see, my loved ones, the assistance that the great beings, the cosmic beings, offer mankind through every conceivable channel that will help, your heart would burst with love and gratitude and devotion to those magnificent beings of God that are always ready and are always pouring the assistance of their love, wherever they will be received. So, in accomplishing that which is the fulfillment of your calls for the nation, there must come legions of the angelic host to blaze the various activities of the sacred fire into very definite channels, until the change is brought about that fulfills the great divine plan and destiny of your land. The atmosphere of earth, my loved ones, contains with it many, many things of which mankind know absolutely nothing. There are elements in the atmosphere of earth, there are beings in the atmosphere of earth, there are conditions and manifestations in the atmosphere of Earth provided by the cosmic law to ever glorify the beloved I Am Presence and the Ascended Host, with the boundless blessings which life bestows, and which are ever waiting an opportunity and opening through which they may come into outer physical manifestation in this world. Beloved Archangel Michael Will you excuse my enthusiasm if I wax enthusiastic about the beings of my realm and the gifts which therein abide? You know, when we have so much of the glory and blessings and powers and gifts of life that God has bestowed upon those who will give obedience, we watch every opportunity and seek every opening possible to help bring those gifts into the physical conditions of this world, that you may know how we live, and this world be transmuted into our octave of perfection. When we see mankind struggling under the lack and limitation of human desire, sometimes it is difficult to turn away and just let them have more time, until they are not content to live in the limitation of their own ideas and feeling about life. We could show you vast accomplishment, vast realms of beauty and perfection and power indescribable. We could take you to heights of accomplishment that are so magnificent, that as you return to your physical world, there would almost be a rebellion within you against coming back here. So, we cannot take you to those heights of perfection until that hour when human desire in this world no longer exists for you. 
If you will desire the presence of the angelic host and you will desire the greater powers and eternal perfection of your mighty I am presence in action, in the physical world, we can give you more of our gifts, more of our power. And more of our legions of the angelic hosts can come closer into the physical affairs of mankind and abide with you, until the transmutation takes place that lifts your world into greater freedom and greater perfection. The beings of my realm are ever awaiting an opportunity to bless you, and as they give you their blessing, they open the way for me to give greater blessing to the world. So, if you will consider yourselves children, may I say, in the family of the angelic host, I trust our qualities and our powers may become more victoriously acting in you, and therefore make you carry to the rest of the world more of the perfection of our realm. And surely, my loved ones, the world needs it. The world needs our perfection, I assure you. And when your own individual affairs seem to lack that which you would like to have, remember, our world is ready to give its blessing, to make your world like ours. Beloved Archangel Michael, Thank you.